Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. The man that you should see behind me is Hiro Onoda. I want to tell you a little bit about his story. He was a Japanese soldier in the Second World War. And he was posted to an island called Lubang in the Philippines and was given some instructions to go into the jungle and to wage guerrilla warfare on the people of the island, on any American soldiers that would come in to the island. And his commander told him and his squad of men, what we want you to do is hide in the jungle, find ways to survive. You might need to eat coconuts, eat bananas, eat whatever you can find. Hide yourself and cause trouble. And we want you to do this until we tell you otherwise. Don't surrender. It would be better to die than surrender. You might need to do this for a while. And so, as you know, the Second World War progressed. The uh, American advance through the Pacific uh, took its progress. And they ended up taking Lubang and the Philippines and going on uh, nearer to the Japanese mainland. So most of the Japanese forces on Lubang retreated at this point. But Hiro Onoda didn't get the message. He didn't hear that the war was over. He didn't hear in 1945 that treaties had been signed, that peace had been made. So in 1946, he was still at war. Most of Japan wasn't, but Hiro Onoda was, and his group of men, they were hiding in the jungle, still waging guerrilla warfare. In 1950, they were still in the jungle. They were still surviving on coconuts and bananas, and they were still trying to cause mischief in Lubang. One by one, his squad of men died, and in 1974, Hiru Anoda was still on his own in the jungle, waging the war. Now, during this time, people on Lubang had figured out what was going on. They figured out there, there was still a handful of Japanese soldiers in the jungle, and they were trying to get the message to them. They were trying to say, hey, something has changed. The war is over. You don't need to live like that anymore. However, when they started sharing the message, first they were thinking, maybe they just can't understand. Maybe it's a language thing. So they started sharing the message in Japanese, and it still wasn't getting through, because is this just a trick of the enemy? Is this just uh, a ruse? No, they're, they're trying to take us off mission. So then they started trying to like, give newspapers and leaflets and different things that got the information out there. But Anoda and his men wouldn't believe any of it. And so by 1974, the thing that finally cracked it was they hunted down his original commander from the Second World War, who was an old man by now, who'd given him the command to go into the jungle in the first place. And they flew him over to Lubang so he could say, it's okay, you can stand down now. And that's what ended Hiru Anoda's time in the jungle. Isn't that an incredible story? And when I hear that story, I heard it first a few years ago, and it got me wondering, could that story be a parable? Could that story be something that there's a lesson in that we can learn from? Because if you think about what life was like, everything had changed in the world and it should have made a huge difference to this guy's life, 
but it didn't. This seismic shift that had happened didn't affect him at all. Why? Because he wasn't hearing it. He wasn't believing it. He wasn't taking it on board. And it put the question in my head, are there things like that for us? Are there things that have happened? Are there things that have shifted that if we could hear them and believe them and internalise them and act on them, that it would change everything? Is there, is there a message like that? And I think the answer is yes. When Jesus came, he had a mission and he had a message. And those two things are linked together. And like that uh, commander who went in 1974 to say to Hero Anoda, it's okay, the war really is over. Jesus came with a message, with some news for us that will change everything. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to hear Jesus teach? When I read the Gospels, I try and picture myself in that crowd. You know when there are crowds gathered around him, just listening to him teach? Or when he was in the synagogues, imagine, like you turn up to synagogue one day, like, oh, who's on the preaching rotor today? It's Jesus. What would that be like to hear him teach? What if you were just sitting at his feet, hearing him talk? What, what do you think he'd talk about? What would be the themes that he'd keep coming back to over and over again? How would it make you feel? What would the tone of it be like? And we're doing a little series this term on, on the topic of the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom, we're told in the Gospels, is the topic that Jesus kept bringing up over and over again. He was teaching about something called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. That's the message that he came with. And so we started it last week. Sam was telling us about John the Baptist who came to prepare the way. He had a message, repent for the kingdom's at hand. It's about to come. And we're going to look today at how Jesus proclaimed the kingdom. And I've got just a short passage today. It's in Matthew 4. And if you read Matthew's gospel, most of it you'll find are the unusual stories, the crazy things that happened, the, the wacky things that Jesus said, the miracles that he did. Well, you're like, whoa, that was different. We'd best write that one down. The verses that I've got today are more like a normal day in the life of Jesus and his disciples. This is an insight into what the regular rhythm of their ministry life was like. So this is right at the start. This is just after he's been baptised by John. He's been in the wilderness, faced temptation. He's come back, he's gathered a few disciples and they're getting cracking. So we're in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. So feel free if you want to follow along in your own Bibles. Uh, the verses will be behind me as well. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's what I want to talk about today, the gospel of the kingdom. What is that? Now, you've probably heard, if you've been around church a bit, the word gospel. It's a churchy word. It's a word that we sing in our songs. It's a word that we'll often refer to from the front. 
Maybe it's not a word that you're that familiar with in other, con- other contexts, right? Gospel is a word, it literally means good news. So think whenever you hear the word good news, gospel is a synonym for that. Jesus came proclaiming good news about the kingdom of God. So let's just pause there for a second and think, what didn't he do? He didn't just come to give you good advice. He didn't just come to say, here are some suggestions that could make your life better. He didn't just come to give good moral instruction. Here's what's right and here's what's wrong. He came with good news. I've got a message for you. There's some, hey, you've got to hear this. This is incredible. I remember I hadn't been a Christian very long, but I was given an opportunity to stand in front of a group of people and talk about what the gospel is. Uh, and I, I did. I, I got up there and I started talking and I was going on about how important it is to believe in God and to repent and talked about a whole bunch of stuff. And then someone, after I'd finished, said to me, Tom, what you said, it was all fine, but that's not the gospel. And I'm, I need to understand this then because what Jesus was teaching here. It's the centre, isn't it? It's it's the the hub of the faith. If we don't understand what the gospel is, we're in trouble. So let's talk about the gospel. Now, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to post three questions about it this morning. If it's good news about the kingdom, question one, what is the news? Question two, what makes it good news? And question three, how is the kingdom central to it? So, what is the news? The news is something about the proclamation of a new king. And no, I didn't just go on BBC News this morning to see what is the news. I know this is apt for where the nation is. This was what we were preaching on anyway. We're we're going here, right? The, The proclamation of a new king, specifically King Jesus. That Jesus is God's king who he has sent to this earth to rule and to reign. And it's very interesting because the language that he uses to announce the kingdom was exactly the same language that the Romans often used to announce a new emperor. So let me give you an example. This is an inscription that was found in Turkey in 9 BC about Augustus Caesar. And just hear some of the language on this. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a saviour, both for us and for our descendants, that he may end war. I don't think Augustus Caesar ended war. I've read some history. Um, And arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excel even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was, this bit's the key bit, the beginning of the good tidings for the world that came by reason of him. Good tidings there, in the Greek, that's the word evangelion, which translates gospel. It's where you get words like evangelism or evangelical from, evangelion. So the the good news of the coming of King Emperor Augustus Caesar. That's what the Romans announced. Jesus announces the kingdom of God using the same language. 
What do you think about that? I think it's a bit cheeky. It's a little bit playful, I think. He's taking it. It's a bit like Jesus is like, right, let's get an accession council to announce the new king. He's taking the ways they understood an announcement of kingship. But the implication of what he's doing is anything but cheeky. It's radical. It's subversive. It's a punch in the gut of the Roman Empire saying, all that you think is going to happen here, all that you think Caesar will do, bringing peace and being a saviour and being the hope of the world, you're looking to the wrong place. There's a new king in town, Jesus Christ. It raised a question that ended up factoring into why he was taken to the cross. People said, hey, he's, he's calling himself king. He's a rival to Caesar. Hey, you've got to crucify him. You can't allow a rival to Caesar, can you? It ended up becoming a test of loyalty for the early Christians. Could they say, would they say, Caesar is Lord? And many of those early Christians said, no, no, Jesus is Lord. I cannot say Caesar is Lord. And that's what led to many of them being put to death, being put into the gladiatorial games. Jesus proclaimed himself as king in a way that said, I am king, brackets, therefore Caesar is not. So, He makes this proclamation in the context of a world that God had made good, but humanity had turned away from him. We had pride of place in God's created world. We're the image of God, and yet we rebelled. We turned away from God, we turned on each other, and we turned to sin. And so you could think of it like this. A world in rebellion, a hostile world, has rejected God as king, thrown out his kingship, This is a reclaiming of conquered territory and restoring it to its rightful rule. It's like the Ukrainians raising the Ukrainian flag again in the land that had been held by the enemy. It's a restoration of rightful rule. Jesus comes and makes that claim. The kingdom of God is here. Good news, people. It's not a world in rebellion. End of story. It's a world in rebellion that God is doing something about. The king is here. It's the proclamation that there's a good and rightful king who rules the cosmos and every knee shall bow to him. And then as you read the story, you see all this confirmed through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, his ascension to heaven, his enthronement beside the Father. Every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess. And so this creation that's been seized, that's been subject to decay, will be restored, will be made glorious again. All evil will be finally judged and defeated because the true and promised king has the throne. That's the news. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not sure that's good news. It's definitely news, but it's kind of news in the way that, like, you're a teenager, your parents have gone away for the weekend, you've decided to have a mad party, you've smashed up the house, it's in a right old state. It's news in the way that your parents coming home and you're busted is news. It doesn't sound good, does it? Because we're the ones that had rebelled. We're the ones that had broken this world. We're the ones who had made the mess in the first place. So is it good news that this king is reclaiming his territory? What makes it good news is that this king, Jesus Christ, died for sinners like us. 
that his pathway to the throne went through the cross, that he was willing to humble himself, that he was willing to deal with our sin for us so that this victory, he could draw us up into it so that we didn't have to remain his enemies, but that we could be his friends. In Romans 5 verse 10, it says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Now, I want to explain how this works. And I'm going to tell you about a letter that I once wrote to, to Big Ron Atkinson. Now, some of you won't know who he is. Some of you will. He used to be, back in the 80s and 90s, a football manager. And when I was a kid, I was about six or seven years old. I loved my football. Sheffield Wednesday support. We were rubbish. We've always been rubbish. That's how it works if you're a Sheffield Wednesday supporter. But I had an idea that could solve the problem. And I wrote a letter to the manager putting forward my proposal. Proposal. Uh, and at the time, Liverpool were, were the top team. They were winning everything. So I says, hey, why don't you swap all our players with all of the Liverpool players, <laughs> and then we might be better? <laughs> now, I thought it was a good idea, and it was, right? It would have worked. And God had a very similar idea. God looks at us with a mess we're making, kind of bottom-of-the-league kind of lives, living uh, sinful terrible life, looks at Jesus, the perfect life, completely bossing it, top of the league, and says, I'm going to take all your rubbish, give it to him, and swap it for all of his good. That's what the great exchange, that's what the cross is about. He takes all our sin, he gives us all his righteousness. It's a trade. And then he goes to the cross with our sin and takes the judgment that we deserve. So think about that soldier again in the jungle in the Philippines. The news comes to him, hey, the war is over. There's a new regime. It's all okay. Doesn't sound like good news until he hears this. And the war is over. There's peace. There's clemency. There's forgiveness. You're all right. You can come and have a new life. The news is that Jesus is king and in him, God's re-established his rule. And what makes it good news is that he's taken all my sin and brought me into the victory to share it with him. So how is the kingdom central to all this? The kingdom is simply the rule and reign of King Jesus. It's a way of describing every uh, human heart, every place where Jesus reigns. That's the kingdom. Through him, everything is changed and the world is turned on his head. What's the kingdom like? Well, if you want to see the kingdom in action, you could look at the start of your Bible. You could look at the end of your Bible. So look at the Garden of Eden. Look at the new creation. Look how perfect it is. I'll read from the end. Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's what the kingdom is like.
A few years ago, I did a, a series of Bible studies, and the people who made it, they, they called it the world we all want. And what they'd done is they'd got out on the streets, they'd done like vox pop interviews with uh, random people saying, what should the world be like? What, what world would you like to see? And these were people who are uh, from all different types of backgrounds. Most of them didn't have faith, but they all described this. They all described a world where there's no death, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no tears, there's no war, there's no hunger, where everything is made right. There's a sense in the human heart, this is how the world should be. And this is how the world was when God made it before we rebelled. This is how it will be once Jesus has returned. And it's interesting when you read the Gospels, because what you see happening around the person of Jesus is a bubble of this world we all want, a bubble of the kingdom of God. It's like around the person of Jesus, disease is retreating and health is in its place. Death can't stand his presence and he's bringing new life. Where there's judgment and cynicism, he's bringing acceptance and grace. He's bringing the kingdom around his very person. We saw some of it in the verses that I read, didn't we? There, He was healing, as well as proclaiming the kingdom of God, he was healing diseases and afflictions. They were bringing him those who were sick, those who were oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics. They were bringing all sorts of people to him. And he was healing them. He was bringing the kingdom of God around him. And these are often called signs, signs and wonders. And they're meant to raise the question, like, wow, what is going on here when you see these things? In fact, Jesus could say to people, what do you see with your eyes? Don't you see? I'm proclaiming the kingdom, but I'm showing you. It's here. Can't you see through what I'm doing? Words and deeds showing the kingdom of God. And then you read on in your Bible, you read through the book of Acts, and what do you see? The followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, are doing exactly the same thing, bringing the kingdom of God through the signs and wonders to support the words that they're showing, and through the history of the church. Christians and the Christian message has been followed with signs and wonders. I've seen things like this. I've seen it when I've prayed for people and they've been healed. I've seen it when people have prayed for me and I've been healed. I've seen words of knowledge. I've seen signs and wonders backing up the proclamation of the kingdom. I'm sure many of you have seen it as well. But I think it does raise a question. The obvious question that's probably in many of our heads is, why don't we see more of it? Why don't we see these things happen more frequently. We've got stories, but why isn't this happening in our midst every hour, every minute, every day? Why isn't every sick person healed? Why isn't every prayer answered? Why is there so much wrong with the world? If the kingdom of heaven has really come, why is the world as it is? Why is there still crying and mourning and tears? And a lot of the teaching that Jesus did on the kingdom of God was all about trying to answer this question. So he'd he'd tell parables about the kingdom being like a seed, the kingdom starting small and there being gradual growth. He talks about it being like leaven that infiltrates into every bit of the dough, but it's a kind of gradual, slow thing. He'd teach about weeds and wheat growing side by side until the harvest, the two things are intermingled there together. And a lot of people have summarised this teaching with phrases like, the kingdom is 
now and it's also not yet. So when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom. It's here, but it's not yet here in its absolute fullness. Why? Because the old age is still here. There's like an overlap. We're living in the old world, but the kingdom has come in the midst of it. And the two are both side by side. Which means that Jesus can announce the kingdom of heaven is here. And then he can say, you should pray to God, your kingdom come. It's both, isn't it? Both and. It's here and we want it to come. He can tell us to seek after the kingdom, to make it our priority in life. He can talk about the gradual growth of the kingdom. And our lives as followers of Jesus, as disciples, is all about going after his kingdom and seeing his kingdom grow. We want to see his kingdom spread. So the idea of uh, that, that seed that grows, well, we want to see that. We want to see the kingdom more and more extended and influential in our world. And again, in our passage, it's talking about all different places. Jesus didn't stay in Nazareth. He said he went throughout all of Galilee. He was going to different places to speak of the kingdom, to show the kingdom, to bring the kingdom. It says his fame spread through all Syria. He said great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. You see, the kingdom is spreading and growing it's going to new places and then after three years of taking the disciples on tour through Israel he says right now go and make disciples of all the nations let's spread this all across the world and that's what we're about at CCM we're part of this mission the kingdom has come here in Manchester would the kingdom come here in Manchester that's why we do things like earlier this year it's why we sent a bunch of people from here to Reddish to go and start something there. Why? Because we want the kingdom to spread. We want there to be people in Reddish reached with the gospel. And yesterday we got to baptise six people from our Reddish site. It works. The kingdom is spreading. It's a good and glorious thing. We want to spread to new places. We want to spread throughout our city, saturate our city. Now there are other people doing this as well. That's great and we celebrate it. But we want to play our part in bringing the kingdom to new places. We've been talking this week about uh, Denton. We're praying into doing something there soon to bring the kingdom of God in that place. And we want to do it all over the world. Like this week, we did a conference about what's God doing in the Spanish-speaking world. We hosted it. We had people on from Spain, from Mexico, from South America, because we want to see God's kingdom spread into different nations of the world. We're partnering with different people, working in different places, so the kingdom will spread. This was the message and the mission of Jesus. And we want the kingdom to saturate like that yeast in the dough. So what sphere of society are you in? What, are you, what, what field are you working in? What neighbourhood are you living in? Bring the kingdom of God where you are. Let's go back to Hiru and Oda. And that question, is there a message that we're not hearing? The message is the gospel of the kingdom. The message is there's a new king, it's Jesus. And he died for you so you could be liberated and part of the kingdom of heaven. But it wasn't just enough for Hero to be told the war is over. It needed to get through all the blocks that were in his mind. He needed to take it in. He needed to believe it. 
and then he needed to live his life on the basis of it. He had to respond to what he'd heard. So as we're wrapping up this morning, I've got two questions that I want you to think about. And the first one is this. Have you responded to the gospel of the kingdom? Have you responded to this news that Jesus is the king and he's offering you forgiveness of all your sins? If you put your trust in him, then you'll be completely forgiven. You'll have eternal life. If you haven't done that, let me say do that this morning. Secondly, who are you sharing the gospel with? Because Jesus didn't just go around proclaiming the gospel on his own. A few chapters later, we find these disciples who initially were just listening and watching. He says, right, you go and do the same thing. Two by two to the different towns and villages. I want you to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. I want you to heal the sick. And so they go and they have a go at doing the same. And then after Jesus died and rose again, and he's commissioning them. He says, now, make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all the stuff that I taught you to do, I want you to teach them to do the same things. Well, what did he teach them to do? A big part of it is go to every town and village. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Heal the sick. Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who could you be sharing the gospel with? Who's in your sphere of influence? Who's connected to you in life that you could share the good news with? You know, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, it's not just for those who get to stand at the front of church. It's something for all of us, Monday morning, day by day life, with our neighbours, with our colleagues, with our course mates, with whoever it may be. We're called to go. We've got good news to share. So let's share it. The kingdom of heaven is here.